Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. We are in our new series. We're just talking about random stuff this month. DE&I, obviously, gosh, Michelle, we've talked about DE&I for the, I don't know, the last good part of the last few years. And we have actually, we have Keith on our show today. Super excited. Hey, Keith, how's it going? Going well. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I know. It's crazy. It's a crazy concept. I'm going to keep saying it for as long as, I don't know, the first quarter has come. Like, Happy New Year, <laughs> you know? Like, it's it's New Year until March 31st or April 1st. It's New Year until all of the jerks get out of the gym and realize that they're not going to meet their resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> My gym didn't get overly crowded this year. Yeah, I know. I'm actually kind of surprised about that. Like I just, I literally just got home from the gym and it was incredibly interesting to see that my like entire like treadmill area wasn't packed. So I don't know. As a side note, I know that we, we often talk about DNI and we often talk about COVID, but I have to tell you when I, when I did start going back to the gym, I went in and I was like, okay, so tell me what our pandemic policy is at this location. She's like, do whatever you want to. I was like, crap, I don't want to come here. So I'm sharing equipment, probably going to get the C word again. (laughs) Michelle, do you want to tell our listeners about that? About getting the C word again? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're wondering where we've been. We have been MIA for a couple of episodes. So, you know. Yeah, so it's it's funny. We talked about the first time that I got COVID and how interesting it was that I worked a job all the way through what the first 20 months, 18 months of the pandemic. Like I physically went into a building. I was the person that went shopping for my parents so that they wouldn't have to get out in the best. Like I was in it. And I was super cautious, masked everything, but I didn't get it. And then suddenly I get to start working from home and somehow I get COVID. I'm not even sure how it happened. But sure enough, I was like on a high because I had some travel coming up and I was like, I'm full of antibodies. And for the record, whether you vaccine or not, it's on you. I am vaccinated and I can comfortably tell you that it did reduce the symptoms and the length of COVID for me. But yeah, so I was running around like I'm an antibody superhero. And sure enough, that's not the way it works. And I got COVID again. I know. I feel so bad for you. Twice in like 60 days. It's been crazy. It's insane. Yeah, it's been pretty intense. So yeah, but you know, there, there's a lot of stuff coming out around the new variant and how the antibodies don't stay in your system as long. And that's always going to be the problem. Every time there's a new variant, it's going to take so long to understand the impact of that variant that you may or may not be able to apply old rules. Just a new pandemic every time we got a new letter that comes out in the Greek alphabet. So right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we and our listeners, I'm sure, are glad you are back and you're functional and your family's doing well. So, Michelle, I hope that you don't um, go down that path, you know, in the next 60 days again. But, you know, we'll cross our fingers. (laughs) 
Anyways, we are here in this episode. So excited. I'm so excited Keith is here too. We have like the full gang. We're talking about DE&I. Keith, I literally told you to pick dealer's choice on our topic for today. And interestingly enough, you're like, you know what? Let's just go with this. And, you know, we are going to talk about, well, you know, it's February. And what happens in February? Other than like Singles Awareness Day or AKA Valentine's Day, uh, I don't know, like President's Day. But like there's like whole month celebrated in February. We have a whole month dedicated to DEI initiative. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You must be talking about how February is American Heart Month. Oh, that, yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every month has its own little situation, right? And, you know, obviously, American Heart Awareness Month is important. I mean, I just came from the gym, worked out my heart, got it stronger. But like, you know, that's not all we should focus on. There's also a topic that's near and dear to my heart around DEI initiatives. Why do we only celebrate National Blah 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 Month at companies one time a year or acknowledge it in one email or one communication. I'm just going to open up Pandora's box and like just blur it out there. And Keith, what do you think about this? Like why, why are companies only just sending out one memo and acknowledging it once? Well, and this is just my take on this is that, that there's a company either has a culture that they live and they walk and they talk, or they have a culture where they just say what they think they need to say in order to get the employees to stick around just long enough. When you have a company that, that has a culture that's built on specific values that, that honors and appreciates the employees in the organization, then it's not something that you only talk about once a year. But, you know, one of the things that we, you know, that comes up in February is, is Black History Month. And, the, and it's something that Lots of companies will will make nice ads about and say we're celebrating Black History Month and and I'm sure that lots of those companies are celebrating it and 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 actually celebrating it. But I'm but unfortunately, there's a lot of companies that are just using Black History Month as a way to say, "Hey, look, here's something we care about." Until the month is over, and then it's on to the next topic. You said that very politically correct at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. It did sound really good, didn't it? Michelle, I would love for you to weigh in on this topic. It's funny that this actually reminds me of a training that I was able to facilitate recently with an organization. And a lot of people wouldn't be excited to deliver compliance-based training, but this was on harassment in particular. And when we were talking through harassment, I was trying to help them understand that... I know you're probably thinking, where am I going? But just follow along with me, okay? I was talking about how all harassment is is going to be investigated internally within the organization, right? And there would be consequences if harassment was found. And then I went on to say some harassment is protected. So in addition to internal company consequences, like possibly being written up or terminated, there could be legal implications. Um, And I had someone in the class go, well, that seems stupid. And you know that I I can tend to be very blunt. And for those of you that 
are offended by this, I'm super sorry. No, I'm really not. But um, <laughs> so what I said was, I wish we didn't have to do that either. Unfortunately, the system wasn't protecting certain groups of people. So laws had to be written. And so I sort of sit on this fence in the middle where it's almost like some folks are going to have to be forced to recognize the value and the contribution of folks other than white people. Because as you all know, history books are basically written, well, they're written by white people in America and they primarily talk about white people. So it's almost like this balancing act of we've got to force people to start having the conversation. However, to Keith's point, that forced bucketing means that some people get to get away with going, well, I did it in February. What else do you want? And so they get to live in this little world of I checked the box for February. You should all be happy. But it goes back to the thought that some folks will not have this conversation if it is not approached from a place of protecting people. Does that make sense? Yeah. And while you were talking, it, it kind of made me think about how if an organization is, is truly celebrating and valuing the diversity in their workforce or the different populations that either uh, work in their organization or that are served by their organization, then that appreciation is self-evident. There's no need for them to advertise that we support this or we support that uh, because it's self-evident in their actions. And I think that there's just too much peacocking around these topics with with companies that just want to say, again, you know, here, hold hold up a flag and say, wave this flag so people know that we support this. Well, there's more effective ways to to demonstrate that you support something, and, and that is actually support and appreciate it. It's true. It's interesting. I was on LinkedIn yesterday and I saw a company that had still like a pride logo and it wasn't their typical logo. You know how everybody in the month of June does like a rainbow logo to celebrate pride. And that's usually in June. Yeah. In June. And so it's interesting. Cause like I saw it and I'm like, it's February, but like the fact that I had to stop and pause and be like, Oh, it's February. And then I re pivoted my thoughts again. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Like they, you know, like completely just revamp their model on what they're supporting and when they're supporting it. So it's interesting because companies, some companies do this really well and somebody, some companies don't. And I don't want to take away from the fact that like, listen, we have history in the United States, black uh, individuals or black Americans in the, in this country have gone through a lot and they, and and granted, every person who's gone through something that's from a diverse crowd, granted, I'm Mexican, right? And so I think everybody deserves a month to celebrate, but we should be celebrating all the time, or we should be talking uh, through a lot of these th- tough discussions much more than just one time or one month a year, right? We should be celebrating diversity every single day and diversity of thought, diversity of mind, race, age, color, whatever it is, right? So like, I think we need to take that to the next level. And I just don't think companies have thought about that more strategically. And it's quite interesting because in 2020, there was the most hiring 
of a DEI position in organizations. And I still haven't seen the fruits of those labor, like that labor. Like I haven't seen an external customer facing impact on places like LinkedIn or career pages or things like that, that they've incorporated and what they've done with all these DEI leaders that they've hired. It's interesting because looking at this year's Gallup results of engagement surveys around the country, some of the things that keep showing up as the top reasons why employees are leaving is that they don't believe in the values of the organization. And it's a pretty it's a pretty scary thing to think about because employees are telling us that it's not about the old paradigm. It's not about paying me what I think I'm worth alone. Of course, that's still a major factor, but we're seeing people leave and their primary reason is because they either don't align with the values of the organization or they don't believe that the organization is following their own values. Yeah. So with the great resignation that's transpiring right now, there's a ton of employees on the market looking for a bunch of um, positions, right? How do you identify that through an interview process? You're, you're, you're speaking from how does the potential employee evaluate the organization? How, do you, how does the potential candidate, right, the potential employee or the candidate that's interviewing identify if those values meet theirs. And if if the organization is truly aligning to their values, you can call a spade a spade. But if you're not walking the walk and you're just talking the talk, like how do you really essentially identify that before getting into an organization and having to do it all over again? Because the last thing you want to do is resign after 90 days or before 90 days or whatever when you get in there and figure it out. Glass door only has so much. And you can't really get into the nitty gritty, right, of every organization before you even get there. Yeah, no. And, you know, that's that's always a question that comes up from recruiters is, what do you know about our organization? What sort of research have you done on us? And I think that 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 more employees are or potential employees, candidates are flipping the table now and they want to know what the company cares about. They want to know what their values are and how they demonstrate those values. And I think that there's only so much that can be swept under the rug, right? If you're asking about a company's uh, values and they're not able to articulate their values or they're artificially pumping up their values, well, there's indeed, there's glass door. There's the, the people that are leaving are going to speak out. It's not going to capture everything, but you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see alignment there. You're going to see that, well, they didn't really have much to say about their values or their culture. And people, I'm seeing these reviews from people that are leaving. In this day and age of, of, of information where you can get the answer to any question in, in, in a split second using a cell phone, there's nowhere to hide. You as an organization, who you are, your identity is laid bare for everyone to see. I also think what we're going to start seeing more of, and there, there's always been the push for this, for candidates to be more proactive in interviewing the potential company. But I think you're going to see even more of that, even going to, like he said, when I am interviewing someone to hire them for a position, the reason that we encourage a ton of behavior-based questions instead of just coming straight out and saying what you're feeling on customer service, because people are always going to give you a line. But if you ask them to describe tough situations, how they handled them, past behavior is absolutely a reflection of future behavior. Um, What someone did in the past is probably 
aligned with what they will do in the future. And the same thing applies to an organization. I think in the past, as a candidate, we've always settled for, let me read what their mission, vision, and values are versus us sitting down and preparing some questions that force the person to describe living those values. And you know what? Once again, you can't just say, how do you live the value of your employees are important? Because they've got that already scripted out. They know how to answer that question. So you really have to talk through what's important to you. Like, how do you handle a situation where an employee fails to deliver on a project? What does that look like in this organization? You've got to ask them those tough questions as well so that you can understand, do they really live their values? I'm actually often, I'm embarrassed to admit in my past, I have put a pretty coding around what you were jumping into as a potential candidate. I talked more about vision and future than listing every single problem that existed today. And that's because I wanted you in the organization so I could get to that place. And the reality is, if you don't think other people are doing that, um, then you're sadly mistaken because ultimately they want the most successful employee to accept the position or the most successful candidate to accept the position. So as a hiring manager, we are always going to present it in a way where you see their challenges, but you don't see them as overwhelming or unsurmountable. So you've got to be crafty as well. Yeah, I think, you know, there's like a a big picture. And I think it's important for you to interview the organizations as much. And if you're in an organization right now, I think we all work for some organizations where they just focus on DE&I that one time of the year. Um, I think it, you need to take it to the next level. And th- there's one, one piece you said, Michelle, that I, that I don't 100% agree with, which was their past performance is going to equal their future performance. And I think that what, what's, what's missing from that is, is the variable of the culture that they worked in and the, versus the culture that they're going to work in in the future. And I think that that, ha- that plays a, a big part into what their performance will look like going forward, too. I think what we're seeing, you know, if we're taking this from a, from a big picture view, is I think what we're seeing is essentially a shift in power, right? The power of deciding who is going to work in an organization and who is going to be lucky enough to work at an organization uh, doesn't belong solely to hiring managers anymore, because now the power has shifted to candidates to where it's now, it either has to be a partnership where we both agree that this is a mutually agreeable uh, employment opportunity, or there isn't going to be one. And I think that that's something that is difficult for some employers to get behind is that they have to now start treating employees as partners rather than as subjective individuals. Keith, you are teasing up our next episode for us. Super exciting. So I love it. So Michelle, Keith, any takeaways you have for organizations, a people in HR, leaders, and, and L&D who are like literally spearheading the top-down training and development for these organizations? Like what feedback do we have for people and, and any closing remarks here on Knock it off. Stop doing the once a year situation. Let's continue this 365. 
For me, I would echo um, something that we learned or heard from Nikki Lerner in a podcast last year. And one of the things that she talked about, and it's super critical, it's that as a senior leadership team, it is time to sit down, look at your purpose, your vision, your mission, and your values, and see if I'm, I'm even going to take the word diversity out because I think most people look at diversity and call it a checklist, equity and inclusion. You need to look to see if diversity, equity, and inclusion is built into the foundation of who you are as an organization. And if it isn't, it's time to rewrite that crap so that it starts from the top. We are saying that this is who we are as a people. And then here's the next thing. Hire someone. Quit asking people who happen to fall within a protected class to volunteer and do significantly extra work just to come up with a strategy for you to put together a DEI initiative for your company. I know you don't all have the money to hire people. Get creative, make it important. Save a little money on your supplies, buy less frilly toilet paper, do something so that you can buy some, bring someone in that is a true strategist. Even if you just bring in a consultant like Nikki to kick off that strategy part of it. And then I would also say, and this comes from a conversation, it's an ongoing conversation that I have with a dear friend who always challenges me when I step back and let people who are diverse take the lead in the conversation. And it, it often it frustrates her. And she asked me once, uh, Chriselda, I know you're listening and I love you for calling me out on this. But she asked me once why that was. And I, I made the excuse of, I felt like it wasn't my place. And then she said something brilliant. And she said... Who do you think the white people in power are going to listen to first? A white person who might also have some power or someone of color who has zero power or, or responsibility within the organization? And so she and I have talked a lot about how you've got to bring people in, in all walks within your organization and get them involved. And sometimes it might have to be a white man calling out their peers for behaving inappropriately. And that might be what it takes to make people start to listen. I love it. Keith, other than companies just need to stop being assholes, any other feedback? <laughs> a sensible place to start for me would be, I would want to get some insight from our employees that are long-term employees. I want to know what makes them stay. You know, employers always talk about how, you know, conducting exit interviews. And the problem is, is that by the time you've gotten to an ex exit interview, the employee has already made the decision and they've checked out. You know, find out who your, who your happiest employees are, what makes them happy. Find out why your low performers are low performers. Why, why are they not thriving? Um, speak to your employees that are, are, are struggling with Maybe they're performing well, but they're not fulfilled by their job. Find out you know, what it is that's not making them happy. You're going to get 
far more insight from the people that that show up to the job every day than from any outside agency. And I would say that that would probably be the best place to start is to find out what do your employees want? What's, what's going to make them happy? And, you know, we kind of take a reverse point of view from this a lot of times where we, we decide, oh, we're going to do this and this is going to make people happy, right? And so we throw, you know, I know we've, we've used this before, but, you know, we're going to throw it, we're going to have a barbecue. We're going to, you know, we're going to give out whatever, some little gift bag on, on this particular holiday or nice gesture. But if you haven't done the, done, taken the time to find out what your employees need, what they want, in my opinion, it's just a waste. Such a waste. Well, thanks, Keith. I know we wrangled you into this uh, podcast episode, but we appreciate your insights. Thanks for stopping by. Until next time, everyone, take care. Bye.